Wait, please tell me you didn't eat that. Wait, it, it was it was right here. It was a cookie. Yeah, but you don't know where that came from. There could be poison in it. Hey, this is Michelle Spiva, your practical priestess of wisdom, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. So join me on the flip as we get into some of the wise reasons why you should beware, because there could be poison in the cookies. I'll see you on the flip. Oh, child, I tell you, there is a saying that I heard. Well, I first heard it from Dr. Joyce DeGruy a few years back. And the way she used it, she used it in a cultural context. But she is the um, the formidable professor and she's a sociologist and she has a work called PTSS, post-traumatic slave syndrome. Uh, Google her and you can watch so much information. You can go to her website, Dr. Joyce DeGruy, D-E-G-R-U-Y, and see all of her work. Um, But she was the first person that I heard use this term, poison in the cookies, and it struck me. And I was always intrigued with that term. And thus, of course, as I am one to do, I started digging down deep into uh, poison cookies and all this kind of stuff. And over the years, I have gotten little snippets of wisdom here and there about this poison in the cookies. And so let's let's get down to it. Now, first, I want to cover some of the surface stuff that is just, it's weird and, and everything. But uh, a few years back, there was this lady, a grandmother here in the United States, and she baked cookies. Well, before she baked them, she decided to put in rat poisoning and laxatives. And she baked the cookies and she sent them uh, to people of um, quote-unquote power and repute, uh, including some military uh, leaders and and others. And she uh, was arrested and convicted and put into a halfway house only to escape. I mean, she just walked out the door and (laughs) had to go get her. So they never said why she decided to uh, put the poison in the cookies and uh, send them off. Uh, But I thought, I was like, you know, this is something. And get this, you guys, when uh, they took her little mug shot, bless her heart, she was wearing a Christmas sweater, a cute little grandmommy uh, Christmas sweater. I was like, wow. And at that time, it dawned on me about this whole poison in the cookies that Today, this is our uh, real-life version of the Trojan horse of, uh, of, of lore and, and old. And then, of course, I looked at the concept of browser cookies. And there is an actual term for browser cookies that talks about cookie poisoning. Now, a browser cookie is kind of like, uh, and I like the way one guy uh, said it, it's like your frequent flyer card um, or your loyalty program card. It's a way for a website to put a little supposedly innocuous piece of code on um, its website and on your computer to let you guys know that you're friends, you visited there. And also it collects information about your browsing history and those types of things. Uh, Now of late, we have uh, gotten stricter on the dis, uh, disclosing of these of this. So if you go to a website nowadays, when you first hit it, it has this little thing that says, do you agree to continue because we use cookies on this site and you have to, you know, click a, uh, agree or whatever. Um, but 
there are some bad actors out there. Oh, yes, there are people. And there are some ways that they try to corrupt your browser history. So much so that not only do you have to nowadays have antivirus solutions for your um, your PC and your Mac, you now need them for your browser. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is the deal? And so this invasiveness of uh, corrupting the cookies is for the purpose of identity theft, of um, spoofing, you know, pretending to be you uh, for visits and all of this other stuff. And I was just like, this is just too much. And it got me to (laughs) not be super paranoid, but paranoid enough to go down the the rabbit heel or hole of this whole idea of the subtle art of deception through innocent things. And so that's what we're going to be getting into. Um, when I looked at uh, the whole idea of the things people do to hide and, and how far they go, I did not expect to land here, but here we go. I landed on the idea that inherently we are always trying to get the advantage or some are trying to be greedy and get something for nothing. And it always brings me back to what P.T. Barnum said about a sucker being born every minute. It, um, If left unchecked, we will take and take and take. The other day in another podcast, I talked about uh, confirmation bias and why is it that people continue to only look for the things, evidences, instances, circumstances that buffer their existing belief. And when I went back and looked at it, uh, we can actually blame it on our upbringing way back in the hunter-gatherer days uh, when we were scratching out a living, eating off of the land uh, before a lot of, before even the um, the agricultural revolution. And even during that time in our uh, small groups, we had people trying to get over on us. And that's why a lot of folks started to only trust themselves and find out for themselves. And so the stronger someone's confirmation bias, meaning that no matter what you show them, they're still not going to believe it. They're going to believe what they believe until they get to the point that they are willing to change their mind. And it comes back from long ago in our history, in our DNA, in our actual um, ability and need to survive that we were like, I don't trust nobody because everybody's trying to get over on me. And time and time again, it shows us that we're right. So you might be saying, okay, poisoning the cookies in the example that you've given so far, you know, sounds like Trojan horse. And yes, like I said before, this is our version. But if you even go back to the to the story of the Trojan horse, because a lot of people say that didn't really happen. Odysseus, we're looking at you. But anyway, um, what you can look at from the root of it is why. Would a city be willing to allow a huge horse through its gates? And the emphasis or the inference, not emphasis, the inference on that is that they wanted the gift. Mm -hmm. They wanted the gift. There's this book I've mentioned before on my podcast uh, uh, by a... uh, 
a, a renowned uh, internet marketer by the name of Dan Kennedy. And he has this series called No BS. And this particular one is uh, the uh, No BS uh, Marketing to the Affluent. And it's a little dated, but it still gives some very foundational stuff. And one of the things that he talks about in investigating how the affluent are different from your everyday Alice and Alan is that they understand that free is very expensive and gifts are dangerous. And yet and still, we see people uh, who have money uh, accepting gifts from all these little places and even telling you, if you want to send me something, send me something. Whereas the truly affluent and those who are, are used to having uh, money, means, and power shun that to the point where if they like something that you've sent them, they will find out how much it retails for and send you the and send you that and be like we bought it from you we you know and and the reason why is because they understand that a favor is very expensive and unlike a transaction a favor has no real mutually agreed on conclusion so you could you know actually Say, well, remember that time and how how long is it that you have to keep on paying for this favor because of what something did, what someone did for you years ago? And they keep bringing up that favor. And so the affluent know that free is very expensive and that gifts are dangerous. But yet and still, the average person, you see a plate of cookies on the table and you're like, oh, cookies. And you go in and you eat them. No questions asked. No qualifying. And you actually ingest something. Or this one. And when I used to work for others, I was always amazed. Thankfully, it never happened to me because I probably would have made the news. But I did know people who had no problems going into the community refrigerator in the break room and looking through actual closed um lunch, you know, pails, boxes, whatever you want to call them, lunch bags, and taking what they wanted out and eating it. And I was like, what kind of audacity is it for that? And I've seen little BuzzFeed articles and stuff of people who played jokes on folks who always stole um, their lunch and everything. But it just goes back to what I'm what I'm getting at of being where because there is poison in the cookies. In that if something is for free or too good to be true? It probably is. Or if something is there and you take it, you get what you get. And I know that this might sound like, oh, Michelle, don't be so mean. Yes, because there are causations and there are causes. If you do something like take something that's not yours, then you have you are the causation for the effect that you get back if it makes you sick or or something. And um I am like I said I'm always in awe of the audacity of people of what they're willing to do. So on that regard, I don't have much pity or sympathy for a person because if you do something like that, yeah, you just, you 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 basically get what you get. But on the other hand, if this is something sent to you, if this is something that is presented on the basis of being innocent, then we have another thing coming. And this is what I wanted to say about this part. 
So when we agree to use something, whether it be the cookies on a website browser or we receive a gift from someone who has presented it as something nice, we basically think that, okay, this is okay. I'm, I'm, I'm safe. And that is where you get God. I am, um, I, I, I am on the other side of having been so gullible. Uh, there's this famous saying uh, right now, I can't give a, a proper attribution because I don't know where it came from. But the saying goes this way. If there's no price or it is free and you can't tell how much the price is, then the product is you. And about 10 years ago, uh, when a lot of the social media platforms were in their infancy, everybody was like, oh my gosh, it's free. Oh, I'm going to use it. I'm going to tell everybody about it and, and these types of things. And uh, I was like, mm, uh-uh. you know, the spidey senses were going up. I was like, what's the catch? Because there's always a catch, right? What's what's the catch? And, you know, call, I'm, I mean, I think I have a healthy amount of skepticism. And I will be the first to admit, I have been a slow adapter on a lot of the social media because until I knew what the catch was, I wasn't willing to dip my toe in that water. I'm the person that I'm not even trying to watch horror movies because they don't make any sense to me. I don't derive any joy out of seeing somebody on a screen uh, do stupid stuff and end up being dead. So that just not that doesn't uh get it for me. But let me get back off of that that little bunny trail and get back onto what I'm saying. And that is when you are looking at uh, gifts, quote unquote, proverbial sweet things, cookies, try to figure out what's the angle? Oh, you know, what's what what is it in what's in it for you? Because there is always going to be something in it for someone else. Because remember from the hunter gatherer gatherer days, we're just made to make sure that we get something. We are not completely altruistic. We are not completely goody two-shoes. And so you kind of want to figure that out. And so lo and behold, and I said 10 years ago, but it's, it's been more than 10 years ago since uh, the, the big hitters have, have come on the scene. Um, and, and so um, what we then started to learn was this term called digital sharecropping. And what it was, was at first we thought that, and I'm talking about internet marketers, um, that this was a way for these companies to offer a free service for people to come and post content on them. And uh, let me, let me, if you'll permit me to just go off the beaten uh, trail here and do a little bit of um, a marketing stuff. And you probably already know this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. So. Um, in our society, one of the two main ways that people can make a living for themselves is by, one, what we're more familiar with, offering products, goods, and services, or two, having what we would call a platform. And the difference between the two is, is products, goods, and services is more traditional and it encompasses a lot of what we're familiar with, business to business, peer to peer, business to customer, and, and, and the like. But on the platform side, the platform is made for all of this to happen within that 
microcosm or that environment. So when you go on a Facebook, it is a platform where all this stuff can happen. But because they are the platform and they allow the business to business, the peer to peer, uh, the business to customer and so on to happen, they tend to make a lot of money (laughs) because they find ways to benefit from having the space where you meet. And so digital sharecropping is when people come to that space and they start to use it. And because they are bringing themselves, their content, they they are providing the information, the activity to the platform, and it's their presence, their creativity, their intellectual properties and knowledges, if you will, that give value to the platform. And therefore, that's why it's called digital sharecropping. Well, we were okay with that. It made total sense. And we were thinking, oh, okay, so this is this is how they get their valuations and then they can, you know, charge people to advertise to the people in the platforms. And it made sense. Lo and behold, about seven years ago, after we're okay with that, and we're like, okay, I understand it, but I can go in there and advertise to these people and make money. Then the next thing starts to build up and it was called data mining. Now I was very familiar with data warehousing and mining from my corporate days of taking large files of information um, that the company would produce and then making specialized queries to not only extract the data, but what we called having uh, a processing ability to turn that data into useful information. And so that's what ended up happening to these large platforms. And you didn't know that this was happening on average. You're just so busy sharing your little pictures of your of your kids, your grandkids, your cats, your dogs, and uh, your breakfasts that you didn't realize that each time you did something on these platforms, because everything is cool now and everybody is agreed and they know what's going on, that every keystroke, everything you put in there, everything you share, you like, you disliked, um, the stuff you you paused or you slowed down, you're swiping and you're scrolling was being recorded and sold to third parties for a lot of money because they were now able to take all of this data, mine it into ways to build dossiers on each person that were better than any therapist could help you with because they've got the hard data. They've got the real way you behave when you think nobody is watching. You know, they've got the data of uh, what you tend to like, what you tend to pay attention to and click on. They even knew the hot spots of um, where your finger touched the screen on your phone or your laptop or, or your curse on your laptop. And thus, This data mining became huge and we got the biggest incidence of poison in the cookies around because they don't charge you anything. You can put up whatever you want and the cookies come from all of the likes, the hearts and uh, the quote unquote uh, gamification tags of verified this and top contributor that. And um, I don't go on Facebook that much, but every time I go in there, 
because I go so rarely, I see all of the different things that they have. And, you know, so if people start getting, um, becoming aware of the effect of the hearts and the likes, they'll say, oh, I'll remove that. But then they'll remove it, but then they'll put things like when you comment on something, they will give you little titles like conversational starter or top commenter or uh, influencer on this particular group or site. And I'm like, mm, I see what you're doing. <laughs> and and then what it does is with uh, Niara Ayal's book, Hooked, he talks about these, um, the four components that you have to hook someone, to, to give them something. And one of them that's really powerful in, in regards to this poisonous cookie that I'm talking about that's prevalent in our culture and society right now is called the unreliable reward. And the unreliable reward, go with me if you will, uh, to an imaginary casino. And we're going to go into the land of the one-armed bandits, aka slot machines. Now today, you don't pull uh, a lever. You could push a button. Some of them for ornamental reasons and to, you know, help the nostalgia of those who were who were familiar with those one-armed bandits back then. Uh, they still have them. But for the most part, you put your money in and you press a button. And then you watch all of the spinning stuff happening and they'll give you a few dollars here or there, depending on the increments that you're playing. And every now and again, you'll hear the wild uh, chorus and cacophony of bells and cymbals and all of the spiky tuned frequencies that are built, studied and made to make you excited, to break your pattern of, home, of doldrums and to make you aware that somebody just won some money. And that is what we become hooked on. And we are chasing after that elusive, unreliable reward because there is always proof either directly to us or always around us that the reward is there. And if you just keep playing, it'll be there. And so what they did was Knowingly and unknowingly, because there are actual people who worked on these these uh, technologies, especially for Facebook, um, that they learned how to use the status and notifications based on algorithms to keep you hooked and to keep you chasing the unreliable rewards. And so on your phone, constant notification this, uh, email that, somebody mentioned you, somebody tagged you, somebody did this. And before you know it, what you thought was a sweet, free way to connect to the world and let the world know what you're doing, you now have become a, a hopping fool for them because let a notification show up on your phone, your uh, laptop, or even your watch. <laughs> yes. And it's breaking your pattern of what you were already doing to get you slyly to come over back to that platform and be in there. You know, there are times when I used to catch myself leaving a Facebook tab open all day and having just all these notifications all day long. And I was like, enough is enough. Because I mean, it's sad when you don't know better. It's pathetic when you do. And so just, you know, uninstalling that stuff and going in when I want to, doing my business and getting back out was a way of me weaning myself off of the sickeningly sweet poison of the cookies that were being offered. 
And so let's talk about how to take even that and apply it to our life. Because when it comes down to it, it's all about what's in this for you. What kind of wisdom can I serve at your pleasure to give you today? So thinking about your life, I want you to look for or let it happen where you become aware of what are you using? It could be gradual, but it has this pleasant sweetness to it. And it is where you find that the more you interact with it, the less you can break away. Or you find that you get irrational. For some people, it might be a relationship where you're thinking, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. I can't get enough of him or I can't get enough of her. And when you can't talk to them or they're not immediately able to return the text, the voice note or the phone call, you're pining and anxious and all this kind of stuff. There might be poison in the cookies of that relationship, not the person, but what you are attributing to the relationship. What is it about that relationship that causes you to go cuckoo, that causes you to become toxic in your body, in your mind, in your thinking? Another one might be, what is it in your life? in your experience, in your money, your relationships, your career, or whatever, that it appeared at first to be innocent, but now you have become chained to it. Whenever I think about the quote-unquote poisons in the cookies, you guys know by now that I'm a Jungian. I I love Carl Jung, um, the uh, psychiatrist and uh, used to be protege of Freud. And Carl Jung has uh, a list of archetypes and I love them. And I I love the symbolism that you can find in the rota, the tarot, uh, the tarot cards. And whenever I think about poison and the cookies, I always think of the 13th card of the major arcana, uh, which is um, uh, a set of 22 cards that take you through life's journey. And the 13th card is the devil card. And the devil card is not what you think it is, but because people have shallow thinking, a lot of times they will put a being of some sort on the card that represents our understanding of the boogeyman, the devil. And what the card means, it, it, it's a throwback to the Hellenistic understanding of Pan, the goddess of uh, freedom and uh, unrestraint, um, the father of Bacchus, you know, of wine and those types of things. Um, but it, it talks about the allness and it talks about having fa- false foundations where these things that you treasure or you lust after, you become addicted and you become enslaved to your own desires. And so when you, if if you look online or whatever, you'll notice that there are two beings in the traditional one that we use in the rider weight. There are two beings that are kneeling before a throne uh, with a, uh, uh, Baphomet in front of them, the you know the goat uh, hermaphroditic goddess, god, whatever you would call it, and they have chains around their necks, but the chains are loose, and if they wanted to, they could get up and they could take them off themselves. And every time I consider, is this something that is 
sickeningly sweeten, you know, is it sweetening me? I mean, it's not sweetening me. Is it killing me? You know, I have to look at that. Uh, I've mentioned it before. Me and sugar, oh my gosh, we have a hard time. I always prided myself in trying to watch my vices, you know, like uh, not having, you know, too much of anything, moderation. And then just some things I'm like, I'm just not, I'm not into it. Uh, but it was that one little thing that got me and I had to realize how bad it was. And I have this continual uh fight, gain, lose kind of relationship with the actual ingredient sugar. And when I started realizing how much sugar is pushed on us, and even in our American products, we're now having to force legislation to make sure that on the packaging, they let us know if they added in sugar that doesn't naturally occur in the thing that they're selling us. And I was like, now this is a grand example of poison in the cookies, the literal cookies, because of the amount of this sugar that uh, we become so addicted to. It's so addictive that when they did test on mice who they had given um, highly addictive substances of cocaine, given sugar over cocaine, the mice chose sugar. I was like, that is powerful. That is very powerful and very eye-opening. And so with today's podcast, my uh, desire was to present to you the option to start evaluating and removing as much poison out of your life as you can. Because if you ever continue to ignore not ever continue, if you continue to ignore the little foxes that spoil the vine, the little areas of poison, you'll look around one day and it'll be too late. You'll be too far gone. And so like the message from the tarot card, you already have the ability and the tools to remove the yokes of bondage off of yourself. Just be aware, open up and start looking around and understanding that Everything, there's not really anything, um, something for nothing. If it's too good to be true, it is. And make sure you understand the angle of what something is being presented and act like the affluent and treat everything free. Pay for it when you can. And if something is a gift, make sure you understand the ramifications behind it. So guess what? My time is up. I thank you for yours. I'm going to have to see you tomorrow. Bye. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.